0: The following message is by Pastor Steve Clark of the Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City. More information is available at our website, www.slcevfree.org.
1: Let's pray. Father, we stand before you thankful that while you are a God who reigns from on high, you have also drawn near to send to us, to to give us living hope in Christ. He became flesh and dwelt among us a servant, sacrificed himself for us to lead us back to you, and we say thank you. That is all provision from your hand for our good to build up a people that is your very own, us. Thank you. And now, Lord, will you make your word clear to us this morning what's, what's in it to help us to decipher what's here, to, to see you and to see what you would have us to be, how you would have us to follow in your footsteps as leaders, what we should look to be, what we should look to follow, how you've made your church, Teach us this morning, build us up, do us good. We trust ourselves to you and say thank you, Lord. Amen. What's the point of being in charge of something? Being the leader. What is leadership for? That's an important question in all, all kinds of fields in in, in work and in education, everywhere, and so it's commonly discussed. And probably there's a good chance that many of us have spent a fair amount of time being exposed to such training, leadership development, those kinds of things. It's an important question in the church as well. One that comes up in our passage today in Second Corinthians chapter ten, but not in a straightforward sense of leadership training. Not a, not a lesson exactly about that. It comes up more. Indirectly, as, as a question about legitimacy. Who's a legitimate Christian leader? And it teaches us about how to look at that, how to, how to evaluate, to think it through. It gives us some specific standards that, that God would say, here's what I'm looking at, here's what you should be looking at then, what you should follow, what you should want to be as you lead in a way that is commendable in my eyes, God offers that to us this morning in this chapter as Paul talks about himself and indirectly talks about other people too and commends himself and criticizes them in this awkward passage. Here, beginning in the end of 2 Corinthians 10 and then really on in the next several weeks, Paul finds himself in a really sticky spot, awkwardly having to boast. He doesn't, he doesn't want to boast. He, as, as the passage here says, he wants to be really clear that if we're going to boast, we should boast in the Lord, period. But there's a problem. As we mentioned last week, he has probably come upon some unexpected bad news from Corinth about how the church there has, swayed, has been swayed once again away from him and back towards some false leaders, some false teachers. And so he has to address that. He's dealing with this disappointing report. These folks have come to town and have kind of surfaced again and they have just grand worldly skills. They are humanly very persuasive and they have at least an appearance of a a supernatural tint to them. So they they present as impressive people and have spent a lot of time maligning Paul, calling him, saying about him like we saw last week, he's just a, a mere guy he's just a simple man nothing nothing of God about him he walks around afraid he walks in human power simple God surely isn't using him like he uses us they say well that's that needs to be confronted Paul has to address that because to drift away from Paul is to drift away from the God who sent Paul So he has to tell the truth about himself and about how he is the legitimate leader that God is using and he is the one who must be followed. He has to boast a little bit, in other words. But he has to do that in a way that's not proud. And what he does here and in the following weeks is is he tries to walk this tightrope. We can can feel the tension in this passage and, and elsewhere. He has to walk this tightrope of saying, in some ways, look at me. But look through me at the Lord who makes all this possible, and look beyond me at the church for whom all this is made possible. So he holds up himself, but really wants to around himself hold up the church and the God who is behind it all, and the God for whom it all exists, the one in whom we really should boast, the Lord. So we're going to look at this today, beginning with his discussion of commendable leadership, and we'll see in it what we should be following, how we should think about the church. In some ways, I, as, I, as I kind of dealt with this passage this week, I thought, this is, this is probably twice as much about me as, as about anybody else. <laughs> but it's about you also, and it's, and it's definitely about you and watching me. So there's, there's some kind of some subtle narrative there that I need to make kind of explicit. A lot here calls for the church to be on guard, to be careful who it follows, who it sets up as leader, and to be vigilant in that. But it also is going to speak to us about, as as we are leaders in the church and leaders in other arenas as well, it will kind of inform us how we should be thinking about leadership, what we are for in our roles. So that's what we're going to be looking at today. Let me read the passage. This is... Chapter 10, beginning in verse 7, down through the end of the chapter. 2 Corinthians 10, verse 7. Paul writes, Look at what is before your eyes. If anyone is confident that he is Christ's, let him remind himself that just as he is Christ's, so also are we. For even if I boast a little too much of our authority, not that we dare to classify or compare ourselves with some of those who are commending themselves, but when they measure themselves by one another and compare themselves with one another, they are without understanding. But we will not boast beyond limits, but will boast only with regard to the area of influence God assigned to us to reach even to you. For we are not overextending ourselves, As though we did not reach you, we were the first to come all the way to you with the gospel of Christ. We do not boast beyond limit in the labors of others. But our hope is that as your faith increases, our area of influence among you may be greatly enlarged so that we may preach the gospel in lands beyond you without boasting of work already done in another's area of influence. Let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. For it is not the one who commends himself who is approved, but the one whom the Lord commends. Second Corinthians chapter 10. I make two observations from the passage, and here, here's the first. Commendable leaders use their authority to build up God's people. Commendable leaders use their authority to build up God's people. Verse 7 begins with a, a gentle admonishment that I think is best read, most naturally in the context, as a, as a command. Look at what is right in front of you, church. Open your eyes and see what's right there. So there's these outside intruders. Paul calls them false or super apostles in, in chapter 11, sarcastically. So these guys are saying that they are Christ's possessive. Christ, apostrophe, Yes. Not meaning that they're Christians, not meaning they're saying they're Christians, but rather they are saying they are Christ's servant or Christ's representative or leader, Christ's guy on the spot, if you will. Well, if one of them is confident that he is Christ's, maybe he is, maybe he isn't, not going to dispute that quite yet, he is going to dispute that later, But it's noteworthy that he doesn't dispute it here. He's more saying, for the sake of argument, let's just say somebody says I'm Christ. Well, let that guy pause for a second and think it through. I also am Christ's. Remember, that's a pretty soft way of putting it for Paul to just say, me too. Elsewhere, throughout all this letter and constantly, Paul's extremely clear, chapter 5, verse 20: I am an ambassador for Christ. He makes his appeal through me. Or chapter 1, verse 1, when he introduces himself, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. I am, for sure, God's apostle. He's, he's really clear about that and very strong about it. Everybody knows Paul's history, his, his persecution of the church, his Calling to Christ on the road to Damascus and then his work and ministry all throughout the Roman Empire. It's common knowledge. But for the sake of discussion, let's just say that we're both on the same level here. We're Christ's. Okay? So now the heart of the discussion. How does Christ's leader carry himself? These guys are leaders. I'm a leader. They have authority, I have authority. They have a platform on which to speak and they have the ability to move and sway people and and kind of direct them. Okay, I have the same ability to do that. We have power, we have opportunity, we have standing. What do we do with it? Paul has been accused last week, and it's again here in our verse 10, of doing nothing with his authority. But rather, just being kind of a weakling, kind of a scaredy cat. He's so non authoritative last week. He's humble, which, remember, is not a compliment, it's an insult. He's weak and frightened. He hangs out around us timid and can't speak in in any way with any kind of persuasion or authority. Not until he goes hundreds of miles away and from safe distance can write us a letter. Well, then he unloads and he writes a letter and sends it with somebody else and tells us to do what he says, tells us that he's the man in charge. Sure, he has big, strong, weighty letters that are authoritative and demanding, but not when he's here. He's so squirrely. He does Nothing. That's what he's accused of. And meanwhile, the opponents are quite the opposite. They are, they are very strong and forceful and authoritative. They are leaders. And Paul says, well, church, that's what I'm accused of, but open up your eyes and look at the actual facts. Look what's right in front of you. What do we each do with our authority? Not how do we present What do we aim at and accomplish? You guys are too hung up on appearances. Look at the substance. I use the authority that the Lord gave me to build up the church. You are a church because of me. I discipled you in person for years and I have spent much time in engaging with you in writing. Yeah, some weighty letters, for sure, but I have spent much time engaging with you. Those are good for you, life-giving letters, are they not, church? All of my ministry leadership has been to lead you to Christ, to build you up in Christ, and then to exhort you to continue walking with him. I have breathed life into you. That's what I've done. They know this. And meanwhile, if you look ahead at chapter 11, verse 20, here's what else they know. See, Paul Paul references this later. He can talk about things out of order. He can skip over things that we are unaware of because he knows full well. They're swimming in this. They understand what he says in verse 20 of chapter 11 with a bit of sarcasm. You guys, amazingly, you are willing to put up with these other leaders who make slaves of you, who devour you, who take advantage of you, who put on airs, who strike you in the face. To my shame, I must say I was too weak to treat you like that. You can just hear the dripping sarcasm. I'm a scaredy cat. I did not abuse you and beat you, physically disciplining you when, you when you sinned. I did not take from you money. I did not push you down and make you my subjects and lift myself up to make you, th- I didn't do that, I was, I was too weak. All I did was build you up and give you life. They have authority and leadership that does not breathe life into the church. I work with you for your joy. Paul already wrote that in chapter 1. They are hanging out, using you, feeding off of you, and maligning and criticizing Paul. So, we're leaders. I'm a leader. They're a leader. I'm Christ's. They're Christ's, for the sake of discussion. Who most resembles Christ? He's the one we should resemble if if we're Christ, right? We're going to come in his name, in his manner, right? It seems to me they are a whole lot more like the false shepherds of Ezekiel 34, leaders among the people of God who feed themselves from the sheep rather than feed the sheep. And Paul, by clear contrast, uses his authority very differently, like the good shepherd himself, meek and gentle, lowly, leading them to living water, building up the people of God, not tearing them down or using them for self. That's the truth, church. Open your eyes and look at it. I hate to have to say this. It's so boastful, but I will. That's what I am. And the facts will bear me out. I will not be ashamed when this is all weighed out. That's what Paul's saying said, so I won't be ashamed. I, I'm not going to brag about it any more than I absolutely have to. I want you to evaluate it. I don't want to step into that trap of trying to seem like I'm intimidating you in my writing. But just look at this, would you please? And also realize this in a clear shot across the bow, not, not to the church, but to the false leaders. You say, I'm one way in writing, another way in person. I promise you, when I come in person, I'll be consistent. Which is also like Christ. How did Jesus deal with the false shepherds when he met them? How did Jesus deal with the scribes and the Pharisees when he met them? Hard. Because he's angered. This is gentle and humble and meek and lowly Jesus who is angry at people who eat his sheep. I promise you, when I come, I will be consistent. Paul knows something, and he's just barely alluding to it because he doesn't want to. He's walking this tightrope. I don't want to boast about something, but Paul knows something. Do you remember Paul' story in the book of Acts when the false prophet Bar Jesus was trying to prohibit Paul's preaching of the gospel to the Roman leader? Paul spoke to him, and he went blind. Paul's very aware. I have the power of God. Fair warning, I will be consistent, just like Jesus. Why? Because I care about defending the church. I care about building up the church. I care about giving life to the church. This is not about me. I really, 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 really hesitate to even mention this, but I need to for the sake of the life of the church. Let the false teachers understand and think it through carefully. I will be consistent when I come. That's Paul, authority that is used humbly, used wisely, carefully, thoughtfully, sometimes with warning and sometimes even with church discipline when needed. But all those things are for something more than just being a disciplinarian. They are for giving life to the people, life to the church for building up the body and not for the advancement of himself, for his own glory, for the thrill of power and honor. Christian leaders, like the Christian leader himself, Jesus, are called servants because that's at the heart of the job description. That's Paul, and that's what every true commendable leader in God's church is like. What we are to be like, and what we are to follow and and support. Commendable leaders build up the church, use the power, use the gifts, use whatever authority they have to build up the church Now I would guess that most all of us probably agree with that this morning and we're alert to it and in line with it, and we're aware that we need to watch out for the abuse of power, those who seek power for their own sakes. So it's just worth saying, that's in the church. I first thought, that's particularly in small churches. Because I, I, I know a bunch of places, and I read about, I hear about, I know people who have actually kind of pursued the small church because it's just, a, it's just a, a small enough puddle that you can be a big fish pretty easily. And you go there on purpose so that you can run the place. I thought, we got to watch that in small... And I thought, actually, no, we got a lot like big churches too because I can just as quickly think, oh, sure, yeah. There are some significant big churches that in recent history have had problems with pastors on power trips. I mean, big names that you know. It's actually kind of across the board. The the church sometimes is, I think, a little naive, a little blind to this. Somebody who can speak well, who can explain the Bible well, and, and never look at, but is he on a power trip? Is is all of this really in service of his own agenda of of himself? Some of the things we're going to talk about in the next point. So to watch that, to to be alert to that, and to be aware that sometimes that can come to exist in a church where it did not originally. A pastor or an elder comes into a position in a church initially in complete alignment, in, in head and in heart with what I'm talking about here, with what Paul's saying, uh, here to build up the church. But over time then, the building up doesn't quite happen like you want it to. The building up doesn't quite happen as fast as you want it to or in the direction that you want it to. The, this, okay, I've been trying to use the the methods that Paul talked about last week, the methods that are of God. I, I've been attempting to live here with character and with love and and to, in prayerful dependence on God, preach the word and, and try to grow up people, but I'll be there. It's not growing very fast, I'm not growing in the right way. They would be a whole lot quicker and cleaner if I just exercised some power. I know how to get things done. I know what needs to be done. And once you're here for... 10 or 15 years, you get a certain bit of influence and you can then become something, almost accidentally, you can become something that turns the church in a direction that is really about a man. I'm not deliberately preaching about myself, but be warned, church. What I'm saying right now is that sometimes the pastor becomes that inadvertently. And one of the ways we help one another is to watch and to keep clear in our minds yes, there is authority given by the Lord. Yes, there is authority given by the church. And what we watch and we mutually agree on is that authority is used to build up the church or it's misused and withdrawn. Right? We'd be on guard and we'd be wise. And we also watch for the other ditch, weakness. That is not leadership using authority for upbuilding either. It's leadership abdicating authority and not using it at all. That looks meek and humble and, and all Christ like, but really it's just fear and insecurity and often mixed in with people pleasing. It's self-serving by a different method. I, I, I still am about serving me, but I think I can get you to approve of me and like me, and, and I'll just cease exercising authority, period. I'm a pastor, I'm an elder, I'm a leader in some way in the church, but I just don't be very authoritative at all, and that hurts the church too, with anarchy and indecision and lack of biblical holiness. Watch for that too. There's trouble in that ditch. If you try to walk in the middle of these two ditches, you're probably going to end up where Jesus did, where Paul is, shot at from both sides. But those are some shots worth taking because if we think about this, this is the kind of leadership that that is commended here by the Lord, Jesus and Paul. And actually, though I just said we'll be shooting at it from both sides, people want this kind of leadership. Everywhere. In, in any business setting, in any family, we need authority. We, we need leadership exercised, leadership exercised for the building up of those being led. It is highly desirable. It, it blesses people and blesses organizations. And so it's, it's difficult, we've got two ditches and when you walk in the middle, somebody will be probably a little bit upset. So, so how, do you kind of, how do you kind of walk in the middle there? Well, by remembering that you are Christ's. Apostrophe S. And that his commendation is what matters. And that Christ, as the one who leads me, was himself a suffering servant. He not only commends, but the fact that he suffered for me is what enables me to carry on, what enables each leader to carry on. Confident that I've got a leader who's serving me. I've got one who is for me, dramatically and consistently. hearts need to be, our heads need to be in in 17 and in 18 I want to be be boasting in the Lord and mindful that he's the one who commends not me, not anybody else Psalm 84 says, the Lord bestows favor and honor no good thing does he withhold from him who walks uprightly walking the middle path there to walk uprightly with the Lord says there's the place where God bestows favor and honor that in our minds enables us to walk between those two ditches. Commendable leaders use the authority that they have to build up God's people and anyone that they're leading, in fact. That's the first observation. The second one is similar. A little bit different, but similar. Commendable leaders live for God's kingdom and for God's fame. Emphasis on God's. Commendable leaders live for God's kingdom and for God's fame. I find this mostly in the second half of the passage in which Paul is, is dealing with a very specific situation that we're going to have to walk through these verses and kind of see what he's talking about and and then draw out the application from it, what it means for us. So he begins in verse 12 by, by mentioning something that he will not dare to do. And from this point on, he's talking about himself and also not very subtly talking about the other people too. Criticizing them, pointing out the problems. I do not dare to compare myself with some of those people who classify themselves and compare themselves with themselves and decide how they're doing by comparison to themselves. I wouldn't dare to do that. I wouldn't match, this, wouldn't match standards anyway, but that's so foolish. It's so internally circular. What's important, where he comes back to at the end, is what the Lord thinks of, what the Lord commends. And they've lost all touch with that. Paul's concerned with the end, that I'd be commended by the Lord, that the Lord be the one who bestows favor and honor me. That, that's, that's true in all of life. So we could say that and we could, we could talk about that in, in a very wide sense, but he has a specific thing that he's thinking about here as we're trying to evaluate a leader. What, what does the Lord commend in regards to leaders? You've got something in particular in mind. Verse 13, Paul's only going to think about boasting With regard to what I'm going to call the duty station that he's assigned, he talks about the limits, the area of influence, a duty station. In the military, somebody assigns a military personnel person to go right there and serve there, not over there, there, to do this job, not those, this one. Paul says, That's what's on my mind. That's what forms the the parameters of my boasting. How am I doing with what I was assigned, where I was assigned it? So you can hear, uh, as we walk through these verses, I'll kind of say them in a certain way, and you can hear what he's saying about himself and the others. I'm going to entertain boasting with regard to the duty station that God assigned to me, which, what do you know, includes even Corinth. Reaches even to you. Verse 14. And how do we know that? That my assigned responsibility includes Corinth, which, by the way, means that it's not somebody else's assigned responsibility. Well, how did you guys become Christians? Who first came to you with the gospel? I, I, me, I'm not evaluating or judging or boasting of my work beyond the borders of my assigned job. I'm only using my authority where I was sent, not with regard to the labor of others. That's not what I'm doing. This whole paragraph is a pretty thinly veiled accusation of what we might call ministry trespassing or to use a more modern phrase like deliberate sheep stealing these false teachers they claim to be Christ's of God but they're sneaking in and they're muscling in on Paul's position in Corinth and why are they doing that not because God sent them God sent me and not because Corinth needed help, I'm still here. I'm still actively engaged with you, ministering to you. The reasons that they are here, then, are not for the sake of God's kingdom. God's kingdom's taken care of. It's for the sake of their own kingdom. It's not me, verse 15, who's boasting beyond the limit into the labors of others, Boasting on the wrong side of the fence about what I've done, claiming it as their own. See, he's very subtle here. He's trying to—he's trying to be, trying to be cool. But what he's saying is, there are some people we know who we're talking about who have come to town and kind of taken over the flock to say, "Look at the flock I have." So it's not just how they use their authority, first point, but it's where they use their authority and why. They're exercising authority to feed themselves off these sheep, to use this church, to make a name for themselves, not a name for God, to grow their own kingdoms, not God's kingdom. Paul says, I go where I'm sent I labor there, I stick with you, and I want to increase my influence among you, for sure, but not to become an influencer. If you look at verse 15 into verse 16, so that I may preach the gospel in lands beyond you. I'm not going to boast in somebody else's field. I want to go beyond. Probably here and there, if you're familiar with what he says in Romans, it's a similar argument. He talks about going on to Spain. Because he doesn't want to minister where other people have ministered. Now, Paul Paul is a groundbreaking, he is a frontier evangelist apostle. he's He's not quite like us, most of us probably. But you see, the principle that he's developing here is that there is so much space and so many people that have not heard of Christ There, there are whole countries in his day, whole continents that have never heard one word about any of this. If you were Christ's, you'd care about that. But what you're doing is you're coming in and you're stealing this flock, not because this flock needs you, but because you need it. You need it for yourself. Me, I'm not using you for myself. I'm using you. I want to include you. I want to use you for the kingdom. I want to use you for Spain, which would be actually to bless you with the opportunity to be involved in the ministry in Spain. That's where I'm headed. I want to grow my influence among you because I want to build you up, and I want to use you to reach Spain with the gospel. They've never heard, not not once, nobody in Spain knows anything about Jesus, and I want to go there with you. What's Paul living for? The kingdom and the fame of Jesus. And what are they living for? Not that. This is not to say that we're supposed to go to Spain or that every one of us is always supposed to go somewhere where Jesus is not known. That, that's more difficult to do today. The point is that we're all supposed to be thinking of, and commendable leaders certainly care about, how am I assigned by the Lord to build the kingdom, not my own, his? Where? It's not, it's not God's purpose To orchestrate the stealing of sheep. To orchestrate a tug of war over a church that already exists. Somebody's got to lead it, for sure. And Paul says, I got that taken care of. Their presence shows the problem. A commendable minister, one that God commands, is looking to build not a personal kingdom, but the kingdom of God. He wants God's name known, wants people fastened to him. The heart desire of a commendable leader like this is wherever you assign me, Lord, that's where I'm going to go. I'm not going to go further and I'm not going to stop short. You're the Lord and I'm your servant. Assign my duty station. Again, I suspect that many of us would say, yep. That makes really good sense. I agree with that. Okay. So let me accuse you kindly. Okay? And, and let, me, let me also say that I'm accusing myself in this. Okay? We all agree with this but i think that if we're honest we all also have to say there's a whole bunch of life that i spend building my own kingdom and advancing my own fame there's a whole bunch of life where where really my my main goal is to build up the self defense walls and and stepping beyond that into the unknown stepping beyond that into where god may call me is kind of just off limits from the start I, I like to protect me and what I've got. I, I think a lot of us are there. My kingdom come, my will be done is the actual prayer of my heart. So that's, I'm gently accusing you of that too, along with me. Think about that. The church certainly faces it. If it's not, if it's not me and not you, it's in the church. There certainly are are plenty of people who are inclined to use the church to advance themselves. And some of those folks, some of them, are like the people Paul is facing. This is the bit of a difficulty for us in applying this to ourselves, is that Paul's dealing with wolves in sheep's clothing. Who, by the very nature of that scenario, have snuck in deliberately camouflaged. And so he's trying to smoke them out. That's not most of us. So we've got to step back from that a little bit and say, while we need to be on, on guard for the wolves in sheep's clothing, most of us aren't there and most of us don't, don't find ourselves, if it's true of you, don't find ourselves building our kingdoms and building our own fame because we are malevolent, deliberately trying to hurt, deliberately opposing God's kingdom. So what's going on in us when that happens, if that's you? I think, I think, this is at least me, that most often when we're not deliberately malicious, we end up using power and influence that we have to build our own kingdoms and advance our own agendas, to turn stories to make ourselves look good, to maneuver and get things to go our way, most of the time we do that, I think, from self-protecting doubt. Another word you could put on that is unbelief. Self-protecting doubt works for me. Self-protecting doubt, the stronghold within my heart and probably within your heart. Strongly believes, something inside of us strongly believes that I must make my life work if it's going to work. If it in any way is going to be favorable and honorable, if in any way it's going to be good, I must make that happen, and I better use any bit of power and influence and opportunity and resource that I have to make it happen, to secure my identity, to make me meaningful and significant and safe and good. Brothers and sisters, that's the core of our sinful nature. Which is why I'm gently accusing you of this. I know it's in you. Because that's the core of our sinful nature. The core of our sinful independence from God. The part of us that is still in quiet and subtle rebellion doubt unbelief that's the stronghold within us that must be torn down and the marvelous news the thing for which we should boast in the Lord and say thank you you are awesome The marvelous news is that that's the problem within me, the stronghold within me, and God sent his servant Christ. And then after him sends true servants like Paul, he sent Christ and his servants with the weapons that actually work against that stronghold. We, we are a people. This, this is the, the beauty of actually like, receiving that gentle accusation is, is to say like, and I'm lost. I'm lost. With if, if God does not intervene, I'm lost because there's nothing overt. There's nothing calculated and malicious in me, but I think you're right. I think there still is in me this bent to protect, to make my life myself, and I, I can't get rid of that. I am lost And God so graciously says, I know, son, I know, daughter. That's why I sent my servant, Jesus, with the weapons that actually can tear down and repeatedly tear down, that can punch through the stronghold and then punch through it again and again and again can actually make your heart new and different. The weapon of the word and the gospel of grace in dependence on God's spirit These weapons actually have effect. They actually build up people by tearing down strongholds. They actually build up the church by tearing down the strongholds within the individuals who make the church. They set us free by destruction. They make us new. They give us life by putting to death And all of God's faithful and true ministers beginning with Christ and all who are Christ's wield these weapons against us, for us. Bless the Lord. Not bless the minister, bless the Lord. He's the one in whom we must boast because he's the one who has done all this. Anything that Paul can say or anything, anyone who's like Paul, anything they can say is that apart from him, I can do nothing. Apart from him, nothing happens. Apart from him, the stronghold stands and I die. But kindly and graciously, he has sent his servants, his leaders, his ministers with his weapons to destroy us inside and make us new and give us life. This is what God's doing in his church. Blessed be the name of the Lord. It's what we have to long for and aspire to look for and follow and become. Leaders who say, Lord, I need you. I need you to wield those weapons upon me first and make me new. Make your kingdom coming and and your glory known, your name hallowed. Make that my prime drive. Lord, help and then use me to wield your weapons to make that the prime drive in others. That your fame and your kingdom would grow and that we would care about the nations who don't know you. Friends, I'm preaching way above my head here. And I hope I haven't lost you in this because I, I feel like I'm up here. But this is the goodness of God that God would make a church to work like this with himself at the center, with leaders who follow him and use these weapons to make us new. This is what we are on the watch for. This is what we want and need and must ask him for to to give to us, to give to us here, this church, to give to me and you. We want to be followers and leaders whom the Lord would commend as we live for his kingdom and for his fame and for his people. So let me pray towards that end now.
0: Thank you for listening to this message by Pastor Steve Clark of the Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City in Salt Lake City, Utah.